Welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. I'm Henry Jukes, the experimentation architect at Split Software. And today I'm joined by my co-host, Joe Stevens. How are you doing today, Joe? Well, how are you? Doing great. And I'm excited to introduce our guest this week, uh, Chris Love. Hi, Chris. Hi there. Appreciate you having me on. Great having you on the show. Software is at the core of innovation for nearly every company in the world. While software drives innovation, almost all software delivery is powered by DevOps. Release fast, secure your software packages, and distribute all the way to the edge with the JFrog platform. It's universal hybrid DevOps for your universal hybrid digital world. Use the JFrog platform for free on all major clouds at jfrog.co slash adventures. That's jfrog.co slash adventures. If you take the Docker challenge, you'll get a free t-shirt. Chris is uh, the founder of multiple technology companies with over 20 years experience in software engineering. Uh, He's a a Google certified fellow and uh, is here to talk to us today about a book that he's releasing up with his co-author, Jay Vias, Vias, called Core Vias, called, thank you, called Core Kubernetes. I'm really excited. You know, Kubernetes is such a core technology for so many DevOps professionals. Um, I'm really excited for the book and what you've released so far um, and, and really uh, interested in digging in. So yeah, I, I guess to kick things off, Chris, I, I'd love to kind of hear w- what inspired you to, to write about Kubernetes. Well, it's kind of my life. So I would say that if I was going to write on any topic, at least within what I've been doing the last five years, it would be Kubernetes. Moreover, so Jay approached me. He had started writing the book already. And uh, we, we did that thing you don't do with publishers. You write the book and then take it to the publishers. Don't do that. You actually come up with an idea, take the idea to the publishers, then write the book with the publishers. But we decided to handle it opposite. And really what we saw was that there was a lack of knowledge within the larger Kubernetes users, whether you're DevOps professional or developer. Within that community, there was a lack of knowledge of the internals and the core components of what makes up Kubernetes. There's plenty of great books, including books by O'Reilly, books by Manning, who's our publisher, that cover, you know, what's a what's the staple set? They cover what's a pod, what's RBAC, they cover, you know, how to deploy stuff, they cover the basics, but they don't cover the intricacies that you sometimes run into. I've taught and helped Google with uh, some GKE best practices, and I've worked with Google engineers, and I've worked with other engineers. I've done teaching and uh, talked to you know different KubeCons and different places. And both Jay and I felt that with all the people that we've met, with all the people that we've talked with, there was a there's a segment in the Kubernetes book community that you know is really the they didn't cover the next step. Everybody was covering the, like if you talk, talk about college classes, everyone was co- covering Kubernetes 101 and maybe Kubernetes 200 classes. Nobody was talking about the 200 level classes, the 300 level classes, the 400 level classes. If you talk to somebody about Kubernetes networking, uh, typically they don't quite get it. And it's one of the topics that is incredibly important. Most folks can't go through the control plane. They're often called masters, but of course that naming's a little debated right now. So they're also called the control plane. 
you know, they're not able to understand or they don't have that level of knowledge and there hasn't been a book out there that helps teach them. Of course, everybody's knowledge is different and we're trying to share the information as we understand it. Uh, Jay's a core contributor to Kubernetes with, uh, with VMware. Myself, I've worked on Kubernetes code base itself, as well as I've worked on COPS, one of the lead contributors in the past to COPS, which is an open source installer for Kubernetes. And with my organization and with the consulting that I do, I've helped numerous companies either implement and help them go from, they've got a year of experience with Kubernetes and move it forward to where they are trying to build a brand new platform with Kubernetes and move it forward. So that's kind of the the space that we sit in in terms of book core Kubernetes. But like you said, there's a lot of good authors out there, a lot of good books, and we just try to fill a gap as we saw it. So what, what would uh, what would you like readers to get out of this book specifically that that would be different from from other books in the market today? Yeah, and really it goes back to an understanding of the system. When you're debugging a system, when you're maintaining a system, if you don't understand the internals, the componentry that does break, your level of understanding of how to troubleshoot is limited. If you don't understand the internals of how, for instance, the scheduler works. If you're running into a scheduling issue, you won't understand that you can actually get metrics from the different interfaces, how a node is selected for a pod and then how the pod is bound to a node. If you're a developer, for instance, you don't understand how rollover occurs, how, you know, what the intricacies are of, say, you know, the storage, the different storage interfaces, how that works. I would say you're limiting yourself in the understanding of Kubernetes. Not only, so from a DevOps side, you're not able to fight fires as well when your cluster decides to, you know, hiccup at 2 a.m. in the morning. And if any of you guys have carried a pager, you know what that feels like. If you're a developer, you're not under, you're, you don't have the understanding or you don't have the level of understanding that you really want and desire to have to develop better applications on top of Kubernetes. And the way that we approached it is we took you through kind of a learning, kind of a learning experience. We're using Kind a lot. I'm not sure if you gentlemen are familiar with Kind. Basically, it's Kubernetes in a container. You spin up a container, you get a whole Kubernetes cluster. And we take you through a learning process about different elements. We cover storage, we cover kubelet, we cover the control plane, we cover networking, we cover security, and a bunch of other topics in depth. So we're actually walking through some of the code. Um, like specifically, I was working on a bit of a rewrite of chapter two recently, and I was actually walking through the interfaces that exist in the scheduler to break apart how a pod is bound or how a node is selected that a pod should live on, and then how the pod is actually bound to that node. And it's it's good information to have. You know, it's to me, it's it's the different and most most programmers are or most programmers and software engineers and DevOps professionals. We're, we're curious folks, right? We want to understand what we're what we're working with, and want to improve ourselves. And hopefully, we're we're delivering an experience in the book to to provide that. Now, when building out writing a book, especially of this level of kind of technical depth, one of the core challenges is kind of taking readers through that journey, letting them understand yeah. and, and kind of build up from there. Especially given that you're orienting towards giving someone that that uh, understanding and overview, how have you approached breaking down the subject Kubernetes um, in such a way to, to kind of guide people into those more uh, advanced concepts? 
Yeah, I think it's interesting because Jay and I kind of approach it from a different angle. We've actually taken specific chapters that we're handling. So I think you're going to get a little bit of approach difference between the two. But yeah, um, it's been a learning experience how to do that well as an engineer. I'm not a, I'm not a professional English major. Uh, so pivoting and, and taking on writing of a book has been a big challenge and a lot of work. So I would say there's two things in teaching, right? There's stories. So if you build a story, you know, I think Zeus's Zap Energy Drink Company was a company I made up in the book, if I got the name correct. And, you know, I walk through their application. You know, they need, uh, they have a web-based application. So they have a front end, they have a middle tier with microservices. Then they have Cockroach Database. And I talk about how that, you know, we lay that out in containers, but how really Kubernetes exists because of the container. And because of all the challenges that containers create and because of all the business needs and technology, technological needs that we have running containers. So I think stories is a big aspect of that. So I walk through, you know, and really one of the premises that we, we've built upon is a theme that everything is based around the pod for Kubernetes. So the story in the first chapter and the second chapter of the book is how we have this app web application. Now we have, we have it in containers. Now, how does Kubernetes or what components of Kubernetes were created in order to support running that application in pods? We talk about an operator with a cockroach database in it to talk about how stateful applications on top of Kubernetes is quite complex. You're going to want, hopefully, an operator that the manufacturer or the maintainer of the database provides you. We talk about how we need fault tolerance. We need auto scaling. We need blue-green deployment capability and all the different intricacies that we need that containers basically create for us, right? Create Containers is a great packaging material, but we, we've got to have all the systems around it to support the containers. So that's the story standpoint. The other way that we do that is walking through examples. And we're not just walking through, here's an example, right? We give you the commands, like here's how you spin up your, your kind cluster or run a cluster of your choice, but here's a great way to do it in your laptop. Then we're taking you through uh, the commands to run what we're talking about. Jay goes through some great stuff with file systems. You can take a look at specifically how the file systems are laid out. And we actually go through building a container by hand. So you're actually, you know, it's not like a full Docker or container image in that in that uh, sense, but Docker is making mount commands to isolate the file system, for instance. So we're taking you through in-depth tutorials and in-depth learning experiences with that. For instance, it was kind of funny. I'm working on the security chapter right now. Uh, we should be done. I've got about a week left, actually, on the security chapter, and we should be code complete on the book, as you would say. Uh, so all the writing should be done within the different chapters. So I was actually going through the example, talking about how to not use or how to set the user specifically that the process runs as. You know, a lot of a lot of containers run as root. That's actually a bad thing. Uh, you should be not running a container's root because if you if somebody pops a shell on that container, then the root actually on the node. It's kind of scary. So I took and one of the things you're able to do within a pod is there's a security context. You're able to define specific IDs for the user rather than you know running them as an unprivileged user rather than running them as a privileged user as root. It, the, the funny part of the story is that I actually pulled down Nginx and tried to run it, and the Nginx container wouldn't run as non-root user. 
So it wouldn't run as an unprivileged user. So you can actually see how some of the complexities of security with Kubernetes is that you may have to repackage images so that they run as unprivileged users if you want to you know, go ahead and, and dive down that security rabbit hole. So like you said, uh, stories is a big part of it, going through examples that we've kind of built, as well as uh, interactive learning experience where you're not just reading about manifests and how code works, but we're stepping you through it uh, and also giving you an interactive experience where you see, for instance, how Kublet is interacting with pods and what's going on in the process. But yeah, it's been it's been really challenging to write a, a book that takes that approach. I love the, the especially that part, last part you're talking about of the, the hands-on labs that you have. I mean, obviously you have examples throughout the book of, you know, um, what's running, how things are working under the hood, but then to have places where someone can step away from the book and kind of sit at their computer and really engage and start playing around with Kubernetes um, and then really dig into some of these core concepts makes such a big difference in terms of, you know, how I and I know so many others software professionals are used to learning. Yeah, and we went back through the book and added a lot more of that. Um, we went through a review process with Manning and learned a lot about our book at that point. Um, so we, we've done recently a big rewrite of the book. So hopefully people are excited about the uh, the, the chapter layout that we're, um, that we're doing. But we, we focused on the interactive learning style uh, where you've got diagrams you can look at, you've got text you can read, but also... You've got instructions on how to spin up a Kubernetes cluster, deploy a manifest, break stuff, uh, build a pod, uh, look at different security parameters that you can put in. And we're giving you, like you say, interactive tutorials to do that. But it's at a different level, right? Uh, most, like you can go on the Kubernetes website, you can get a bunch of great tutorials around what it was a pod. But the Kubernetes website doesn't talk about how C groups and Linux namespaces work in terms of with, with your container engine and how that impacts Kubernetes and how you're able to tweak, for instance, like, and I'm learning stuff here because I had no idea that you can like share, share PIDs across two containers inside of a pod. So it's, it, it gets down into the finer detail, but also we tried to keep it at a, at a level that's actually Actionable is maybe the way you say it, or it's not so theoretical, but it's more practical. I was talking with one of the folks that works in security with us in the past. He's a real Kubernetes security genius. And I was talking with him. There's some more obscure types of security, uh, app armor, as well as um, there's another one that I, I missed the name on. And I was talking with him about it. And I'm like, well, should I go into this depth? And he's like, it's a lot of diminishing returns when you're implementing some security. You know, you can, you've got to be able to do business. You've got to be able to produce code. You can't have such fine-grained security in place that can cause a lot of problems for you. So we're, we're trying to pick and choose exactly the topics that we're covering from, you know, what Jay's experience is from, I don't know, he's been working on the Kubernetes code base for probably four years. And he's done some very significant work on it. Now he's with VMware, so he's working on Tanzu as well. And I've worked... You know, and then I have a different perspective where I've worked in professional services uh, a lot with different clients. And because of that experience, I understand what folks are running to that are actually running Kubernetes. And of course, I've worked on the source base as well. 
So we've tried to make some judgment calls, but there's a lot to cover. It's a big topic. It is a complex, Kubernetes is a complex beast. And uh, I'm excited to see that a lot of the components within Kubernetes are becoming more like interfaces rather than code that's checked into the main repository. And, and people are able to build upon that interface model rather than having to get code that's contributed in the, in the core of the software component. But still, it is complicated. I think over time, we are going to make it uh, easier to develop against. Uh, but that's definitely one of the challenges right now with Kubernetes. So who then would you actually uh, recommend this book for? I mean, it, the, I guess the part of the way that I'm, I've approached Kubernetes is we actually used to use uh, COPS in Amazon. Um, cool. We ended up shifting to great product. And it, you know, it works. <laughs> it does the Thank thing. You. But we we did find that there were, there were certain layers of complexity that it that it demanded of us understand. So we, we ultimately ended up moving to EKS. So we're 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 running across three clouds and we're, we're using the actual managed provider in all clouds. We found that's a good balance. So I'm I'm curious if I guess for for whom you you think that this is a particularly good fit, whether that's around practitioners or or around certain like business scale. Yeah, absolutely. And it's more of what you want to do in your career and the knowledge, level of knowledge that you understand, right? It's it's the folks that, you know, do you want uh, a basic understanding of Kubernetes and you're happy with that? Or do you want the next level of understanding where you want to understand how it, like, what does Kubelet actually do? Like, like it's that, like, I had to, I had an interesting uh, conversation with Don Chen. She's the head of SIG, the SIG node. So there's groups within the Kubernetes community, Kubernetes community, that maintain certain uh, blocks of code and functionality within the code base. Don Chen is in charge of Node, which is Kubelet. So she's one of the first authors of Kubelet. And I was like, Don, where? So where is it documented that you know where what Kubelet does, like all the functionality that Kubelet has? And she's like, it's not documented well. I'm like, all right, well, let's get on the phone for half an hour so I can interview you a bit and pull out of your brain the pieces that I don't have so that I can document it. So it's folks that want to do that. I would say that if you read one of the Manning titles or one of the you know other wonderful publisher titles that's an intro to Kubernetes, you've touched Kubernetes some, and then you want to take that next step and really start to understand it very well, uh, then you know I think this is a, a great opportunity for you to build on that. Do you need this level of understanding in your daily life of Kubernetes? No, but does it help? Yeah, to my perspective. In order for me to debug something, it really helps for me to understand at least which component to go look at, right? For instance, you would think that the scheduler created load balancers when it schedules the pod, but that's not correct. It's actually used to be the Kubernetes controller manager, and now it's broken out into the uh, into the cloud controller manager. So there's unique controllers that that handle each part of deploying your applications into the Kubernetes infrastructure. And if you're trying to figure out what's going on, you know, that helps. You, of course, mentioned EKS. So you can't even touch your control plane in with using EKS. So you know, you might want to skip over some of the chapters that don't really apply to you. But if you're able to understand, okay, this is a scheduling problem and and or I have RPAC rules, I should be looking at, you should be looking at the API server logs because you are not certain exactly how or why your RBAC policy is failing. Uh, it helps, right? It just, to me, 
if it goes back and I made a statement already once before, I, I don't want to stay up a very long time if I'm woken up at 2 a.m. If I have something that can serve as a reference guide and or can walk me through the components in the, in the cluster so I understand it better, so I can understand what's going on a little bit better. Or if I'm from a developer standpoint, I understand exactly how pod lifecycle is managed and what post and pre-stop hooks are and how they interact and how they work. I'll be able to develop a better application that lives within the Kubernetes, you know, a Kubernetes cluster. So you've already touched on this a little bit when with with kind of the research that you've been doing, but the process of writing the book clearly seems like you've been able to reach out, you know, not just from your own experience and Jay's experience, but to other people in the field. And so through that process, you know, you've indicated that you're, you've been able to learn. Has there been anything particularly surprising, interesting, or, or valuable that's come through that process that you made sure to kind of highlight in the book? Yeah, networking, I definitely say it has been, you know, I thought I knew networking beforehand, and I had a pretty good handle on it. Uh, I've worked with different CNI providers, debugging issues and crazy stuff like that. But understanding exactly the intricacies of that, um, as well as uh, there's a couple different newer products that are using BPF or BGF. I'm, I'm messing up the acronym. Me and acronyms don't get along, even though they're like all our lives are within this community or acronyms. So that was an interesting experience, learning more about how Linux networking is advancing. So within the kernel now, so within most CNI providers, and CNI provider is the container networking interface provider. So a pod needs an IP address. You also have to have IP address management and routing between IPs within a, within a cluster. So your CNI provider handles that. Typically what we're using, or you know, previously to a few new uh, CNI providers that are coming out, we're using the old school technologies. We're using IP tables. We're using VLANs. We're using uh, BGP. We're using all the classic networking technologies, right? Uh, and you've got KubeProxy and you've got Kubelet that both interact with the CNI providers and create all the different types of networking. You've got different cyber ranges, so different IP address ranges that are running inside the, the cluster and all that. So I understood that part of the technology before starting writing the book. Now taking the next step, the newer CNI providers are using actual, they're, they're bypassing the Linux networking stack. So they actually have code that's being run by the Linux kernel that bypasses the Linux networking stack. So you've got, a, you've got something that's called Linux namespace or a Linux network namespace within a pod. You have a networking stack that's unique to the, all the containers that are running inside a pod. And you need to interact with the Linux kernel's networking functionality to be able to route traffic from the node to the pod and then pod outbound to wherever it's heading, you know, to a service or to an external website or et cetera, or a load balancer. So they've now been able to bypass the Linux networking stack. And, you know, you're able to get, uh, uh, of course, bypassing networking stack, of course, theoretically gives you more flexibility. IP tables rules that are used for large clusters are huge. So if you look at the rule list for uh, a cluster uh, that has you know several hundred nodes in it and several thousand pods, you would be you know it, it, like every node knows where every service is on for everything, and they know which pods. Like even if the pod isn't running in a node, it knows exactly where the pods are at. So the amount of routing 
and networking traffic that goes goes through a cluster is just immense. Uh, security is another one that you go down that rabbit hole and you're just kind of you're, you're kind of amazed with how much is around it. Like I said, I was working with my my friend and former coworker that worked with us a while back, and he's like, "Yeah, the, the the outline that you've done for that chapter pretty much could be a book, Chris." So I'm like, "Yeah," and that's that's a book that I talking me into writing another book right after this book is probably a challenge, but that's beside the point. So you know, those are the two things, and also to your point, um, learning how to write better. Fortunately, I've got got some good folks around me that are helping me write. But that process has probably been the biggest growth experience for me. You know, of course, learning about the interfaces inside the scheduler is pretty cool. But learning how to communicate better, how to teach people better through the written word has been, a, has been the, probably the biggest challenge. And, and also, I still can't spell Kubernetes accurately most of the time. It's kind of funny. So <laughs> Kubernetes is still a common spelling mistake of mine. So you can blame Google for choosing ancient Greek, right? Wasn't the most helpful choice. <laughs> hey, it, may, it, it, it it falls into you know the the meaning of Kubernetes, of course, is helmsman. Um, you know, we've got you know Docker and containers and pods and everything else, which kind of like links around the whole nautical theme. But yeah, that word's a, a little bit of a experience to spell. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. It shortens nicely though. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Awesome. I was curious if, if there were, was there anything that you learned while while writing this that you would take back to any of your previous work uh, as, man, I really wish I knew this when I was working on X. Yeah. And, and it's, I would say that it's more of, I wish that more people would do this in the industry than because it kind of just like reinforces the gotchas that people run into. Uh, for instance, when you're doing network IP ranges while setting up clusters, you got to do that right. There's actually, so your nodes will have IP range, your pods will have an IP range, and your services will have an IP range. And of course, it's that balance with networking where do you, how many IPs do I give this? How big do we think the cluster is going to grow? Re-IPing a cluster is not fun. You might as well, you know, drag all, everything new over to a new cluster. Um, one of the one of the gotchas within a pod is that it auto mounts the service account. So, and that's the service account token that's used to authenticate against the API server. Like, how many pods actually need that service account token? How many pods are actually going to communicate with the with the uh, with the Kubernetes uh, API server? Like very limited number of pods are going to do that, but that's always automated. And the real thing that gets me is like from a, like so we're running containers, right? So the security kind of starts at the container and starts at the node. In my at least in my mind, and people just aren't updating their containers. Like if you look at the security screen of the average container that we run in production, it's got Bash. You know, maybe it's running Bash, maybe it's not, but it's got CVEs that we're running inside of our containers. And we just have to build a system around that so that our containers are being constantly updated. 
And a lot of folks don't put the the time into that. Like kind is another treat that I've run into, which uh, I'm actually using right now. Uh, we're working with Cockroach on their operator right now. And we're actually using Kine in our end-to-end testing. And the reason that I am using Kine right now for their end-to-end testing is because I, I used it in the book so much. So we're running, like whenever a CI runs through, we spin up a Kine cluster. We run integration or end-to-end tests against the cluster, exercising the operator, creating databases, et cetera. And I wouldn't have done that if I hadn't used Kine as much within the book. I think that's a really interesting developer tool. Of course, there's... Kubernetes and Docker, and there's many cubes, so there's lots of different tools, but just running a single capability of running a single container and having a full-fledged Kubernetes cluster is pretty cool. With your involvement being able to, to kind of work with you know the development of Kubernetes and with you know network with all these other uh, contacts in the space, are there particular things that you're excited for, you know, upcoming features or development or, or the direction of Kubernetes? Um, what, what do you see as the, the future? I think it's the stuff that's going to run on top of Kubernetes that's going to make our lives easier rather than Kubernetes itself. Kubernetes is still going to mature as a platform. We're going to keep on fixing bugs and we're going to put in more features. But goodness, it's got a lot of features already. You know, let's let's admit that. But the platforms that are coming out, like the Open Policy Manager, so it, or Open Policy Agent, sorry, it allows you to define rules that run on top of your cluster so that your pods have to have like security contacts or whatever. Also, CI is still a big issue. You know, the whole... You know, exactly how we manage our manifest. Once that we, we have a few winners in the few, uh, in the field, whether it's we use operators predominantly or we use Helm, Istio and service meshes are another big thing that are coming out. So it's not so much, you know, the Kubernetes is kind of, it's kind of stabilized, right? It's kind of, it's kind of there. It can, you know, of course there's some, you know, things with scheduler or there's still intricacies with, you know, mounting secrets or there's some functionality that's not there. But what I think the really cool things are the things that are going to be running on top of Kubernetes, uh, as well as capability to run Kubernetes in many different places and have the same distribution. I know that's something that Google's working on with Anthos uh, and seeing more of the vendors building offerings around Kubernetes that doesn't that don't just include Kubernetes, but includes multiple layers of functionality. Would really love to see Amazon focus on that more, but it's kind of a interesting, they've got kind of interesting offering because they have both Fargo and they have EKS. I know Microsoft is doing a lot of work with their offering, as well as a lot of smaller providers, not a lot of not necessarily smaller providers, but other providers like IBM and Oracle. Having and VMware, of course, um, VMware. If you now have your upgrade VMware, you're going to get Kubernetes. So they actually vCenter is actually a running inside of Kubernetes rather than running as uh, an actual OVF that's separately managed by the the ESX server. So it's I would say it's what the what folks like Google, Microsoft, Amazon, IBM, Oracle. VMware are doing with Kubernetes in terms of getting us good offerings. And it's also the stuff and all the excited componentry and services and tooling, whether it's, it's security or if it's uh, CI, CD, or it's uh, service mesh capabilities, or it's all of the folks like Kafka and Cockroach and Cassandra, they're all building operators for us so that we can run stateful applications on top of Kubernetes without experiencing immense amounts of complexity and pain. 
So it's kind of the stuff that runs on top of Kubernetes that I'm excited about more than Kubernetes itself. I think Kubernetes has kind of become a, a standard. It's like you mentioned, it's kind of a core technology for us now. The way I look at it in from my previous lives, and you know, I still have the Oracle eight books. Yeah, I'm, I'm I've been in this industry that long. But if you look in the 2000s and late 90s, everybody had an Oracle database they were running. Uh, later on with that, VMware came out with the ESX platform. If you had a cloud um, or a virtualization technology within your infrastructure, you pretty much were running, like it's almost, it's a good bet you're running VMware ESX. Now with the latest, you know, with Kubernetes, it's kind of taken over that space and that industry in terms of container management. There's some great competitors out there, don't get me wrong, but it's kind of become one of the standards of running containers. To that point, it's matured to the point where I, I'm not necessarily excited, super excited about innovations within that technology, but I think we're building lots of cool stuff that's going to run on top of it. You mentioned the different uh, Kubernetes providers, the, like the, the actual uh, people who are, are giving Kubernetes as a, as a platform. Is, is there any, any particular inconsistency you see among them that, that you would highlight? Uh, or what were you uh, alluding to there? So uh, a certain consistency that I'd highlight? What, what do you mean? I think I, I think missed your question. I'm sorry. So you you mentioned that there that there's things that you're looking for, like particularly out of DKS uh, from the actual Kubernetes offering. Um, yep. that, that you'd be interested in seeing. Could you uh, expand a little bit on that? Sure. Um, I think EKS is a great product. I just would like to see improvements in their CNI provider, as well as uh, improvements in the upgrade process, as well as deployment. Think they're doing lots of great work around it. You know, I'm not here to compare different products against it. GKE has its own failings. Azure has its own failings as well. But definitely would like to see some more focus on on those things. Seeing the way the CNI provider works is very fast, and it binds directly to ENIs. But I would love to see that you can run a smaller node with more pods on, on top of it. Um, that's definitely one of the interesting things about their design that they chose. It's fine, you know, it's their, their choice. And like I said, it's a great it's a great product. But there's always room for improvement. Who whoever makes the whoever makes it. Awesome. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. Chris, as you probably already know, uh, Pix is the part of the show where we're able to talk about you know whatever's interesting us, uh, whether it be technical or non-technical, a TV show, a podcast, whatever we're really engaging with at the moment. Kick us off. For me, I've got two picks this week. One of them, uh, I'm sure you know a lot of people are familiar with coming off of the election cycle. Um, the website 538, you know, has uh, taken a really strong kind of has been driving all of the polls and kind of been the gold standard for polls through the election cycle. But I wanted to highlight outside of their politics coverage, they have some really fascinating coverage in the area of sports um, where they do predictions on, you know, uh, Every sport right now, they, they track the NFL. Um, they have some really interesting articles breaking down the performance of teams and, you know, when they're surprising outcomes, what's going on there. Um, as someone that plays, uh, you know, in multiple fantasy leagues at a time, um, it's been something that I wasn't aware of in the past, but it's been really enjoying their coverage and, and digging into that. And so for those that have enjoyed uh, 538's politics stuff or, or been interested in what they're doing there, I 
definitely recommend checking out the sports side of their coverage. Are they running their own analytical models? Yeah, they do. Do sports picks? Exactly. Yeah, they have, you know, ELO models. They have um, their own tracking for, you know, uh, playoff percentages, um, everything, uh, even game over game. They have probabilities of of who their picks are and and who they think are going to win. So I'm sure there's people in Vegas that are are referencing uh, the data coming off of them. The other pick that I had, uh, I've talked on the show about my love of cooking uh, in the past, um, but I wanted to highlight, just because I have the book right in front of me, uh, a cookbook, uh, or rather a cocktail book by Dave Arnold called Liquid Intelligence. Uh, A lot of people might be familiar with it who enjoy making craft cocktails, but it takes a, a fascinating approach of both looking at really classic you know, uh, cocktails, you know, that, that you're familiar with, and then looking at a variety of very advanced spins on them, you know, doing things like smoking the cocktails or creating foams, doing really crazy stuff. You probably won't be doing at your home, but gives you that great insight paired with more traditional cocktail recipes. So if you're, you're into that kind of thing, I definitely recommend checking it out. So uh, those are my picks. Um, Chris, do you have any picks for us today? Yeah, actually, um, I've been doing a lot of breath work. Would you believe that? Learning how to breathe. Read or listened to a book uh, called Breathe, Breathe, and I'll look up the author real quick. I forgot to pull that out. But so I've been listening to the book on Audible. And also um, Wim Hof is another leader in that space in terms of teaching folks how to breathe doing he has an app which is really great uh james nestor wrote the book breathe and wim hoff has an app for iphone and also for android that you can use and it takes you through breathing methods very interesting how a lot of thoughts and and uh, practices of different breathing styles have been lost through the years and how many of the people that have been really highlighting on, you know, really focusing on breath work have often been called kooks um, by the medical community. But, you know, we, we, we sleep, which is super important. I think, you know, uh, LeBron James talks about he has to get nine hours of sleep or else he doesn't perform as well as he will. You can, I wish I could get nine hours of sleep. We eat, you know, of course, we exercise, but I think one of the things that we, we forget about is actually breathing properly. I've uh, done martial arts for a long time. So, you know, I understand how uh, with, with body movement and with breath, you're, it's, it's super important. But uh, diving into that book was, was really interesting. Another thing that's really been taking over my life, and I'm looking around my apartment, is, is plants. I recently bought three more orchids. So I currently have six orchids in my apartment. And I'm working with my girlfriend on a couple of other uh, large plant projects. Uh, she has about 250 plants at her house right now, which is kind of humorous uh, in itself, but she's hugely into it. I am surprised by how many other friends that I've got also that are very much into plants. And I was also really surprised by how much these, how much plants actually cost nowadays. So because of the whole, we're living in our, in our golden cages right now during COVID, the, the whole plant industry and reselling of plants has taken off where it's not, some plants are very incredibly expensive. They're, they're more expensive than computers. Just to give you an idea, I won't start dropping numbers, but that was quite, quite an eye-opening experience. But yeah, 
I've got my orchids blooming again and hoping for another set of orchids to start. And I've got three more that I'm nursing and it's, it's an interesting hobby. That's fantastic. Yeah. I've, I've always struggled to have a green thumb. We started a garden um, outdoors uh, this past summer. Um, and I'd say about half of the vegetables that we planted actually turned into anything that we could bring to our kitchen table. So especially trying to bring these, you know, relatively delicate plants indoors. I'm very impressed. So my mom was a florist. So I, I attribute my insanity of being able to grow orchids to her. As as you referenced, orchids are finicky as heck. You almost have to abuse them at times. But, you know, to your point, when you grow your fresh vegetables, isn't that some of the best fresh vegetables you tasted? Oh, yeah. It makes yeah, such a there's difference. Nothing, there's nothing like, you know, pulling a carrot out of the ground and then eating it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's amazing how well uh, commercially produced uh, vegetables and fruits are uh, like designed for shelf life. Um, I, yeah. I remember reading recently that most apples you'll find in the grocery store are going to be close to a year old. They, they've just been kept around for that long in you know, climate controlled spaces. Anyway, Joe, how about you? Do you have some picks for us this week? Yeah, I've got a couple. So we, uh, we caught up on the Mandalorian last night. I'm sure that this is going to be something that no one has heard of. It, it was, it was actually it was particularly fun we struggled a little bit with it last season because we we went into the show sort of expecting it to be one thing that it really wasn't like it you know we, we came into the show and we we're like great there's this main storyline and everything is going to push this storyline along and if you expect that it's going to disappoint you because it is a show about side journeys <laughs> we kind of figured that out and going into the season we you know we're two episodes in we're like oh great we're just going to kind of go on a little little jaunty tweet and it's going to be delightful <laughs> Uh, so that was that was lovely to start that again. And then uh, recently, I actually got a ultra ultra wide monitor. It's the Samsung Odyssey G9. So it's it's four inches wide. It's basically like two monitors next to each other, and it's like nice. it's lovely. <laughs> I highly recommend the experience. <laughs> I have one of those in my uh, in my Amazon wish list. Um, yeah, right now I'm looking at my laptop uh, stacked up on a series of books, which is where my pick came from. So I can definitely do with a better uh, system. Yeah. Um, so side note, Disney Plus uses Kubernetes. Disney <laughs> Animation. Yeah, Disney Animation also uses Kubernetes heavily. I've, I know two folks. Um, so co-founder of Cops was working with, as a contractor with Disney, helping to build Disney Plus before it was released. And he now works for Google. Google nabbed him, uh, as well as I know a couple other folks from Disney uh, that they've moved on since. Uh, but they are both Disney Animation and uh, Disney, uh, Disney Plus streaming service are both big Kubernetes users. And I'm jealous. I haven't had the opportunity yet to to watch through Mandalorian. I, I'm very so people are like buying Costco memberships to buy Baby Yoda. That is really crazy. yeah. <laughs> Evidently, Costco has a really cute Baby Yoda. So amazing. Yeah, I remember when the show first came out. I was like, oh, let me look at getting one of the the toys for it. I'm sure they're merchandising the hell out of it, and it was sold out for like eight months back ordered um yeah yeah that's that's i <laughs> yeah i'm a bit of a star wars nut so we, we won't talk about the collectibles i have in my apartment yeah so but yeah it's kind of funny yeah. i'm definitely yeah excited. and in terms of monitor in terms of monitors um yeah i have monitor issues as well 
So I have three monitors, two monitors set up on the primary machine. Then I have a gaming PC that I have another monitor on. They're all on uh, the arms, different monitor arms you can get. I would highly encourage you to get away from your books. And I'm selling two other monitors. It's been a it's been a year of monitors. It's kind of bizarro, but yeah, getting into gaming with you know refresh rates. I can understand that day in day out, what you're using is going to be huge. That's probably my next purchase. It's a really big monitor to, to replace the two that I use day in the day out. Yeah, I had three monitors at the beginning of the epidemic, and now I have this one. <laughs> <laughs> but have you I, sold the other three? That's that's the question. Or I'm are you using out four? To <laughs> <laughs> so, so the monitor arms is definitely the way to go because I have one that is uh, landscape, and the other is regular horizontal. So I've got one that's set up so it's real long. So when I'm reading through code or writing or whatever, I can have like. 300 lines in front of me and then i've got the other one in normal rotation but i've got like i'm weird with gaming i actually game standing up so i've actually have the monitor mounted to the wall wow so yeah i know but yeah i i I don't sit down when i work so yeah i feel uh joe over i feel like each week you have a pick that's related to your your office setup um so <laughs> by the by the end of the year you'll you'll have repurchased every piece of your system who who in our industry hasn't worked on their home office <laughs> i'm gonna have an amazing office and no money (laughs) (laughs) but you know we have jobs during this pandemic so we've got to be very very thankful for that we're in we have talent set that spans across multiple industries there's but yeah we i i have another bookshelf that's going to arrive to replace one of my older bookshelves here shortly so i feel the pain of the office work as, as everybody else has been doing to get the perfect office set up. I've uh, started doing more video recordings and press interviews for my job. And uh, the the marketing team was like, your background is terrible. You need to improve it. So I, I spent like a bunch of time mm-hmm. like, putting shelves up and adding stuff. Uh, so Yeah, I, I had the fish us. behind me. So I was, uh, I have lights set up in the whole nine yards in my studio. And or in my office, and I had a fish, so mahi-mahi, that was in my background. And I was basically chopping the fish in half, so I was standing in the middle of this five-foot-three fish, and my marketing person went, no, no, the <laughs> fish goes. <laughs> Blank white wall's great. <laughs> so, so the fish is going on the other side of the office. That's one of the reasons I get in the bookshelf, so I feel your pain. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I think we've spent enough time talking to our listeners about our office setups. Um, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. I've really enjoyed the conversation. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And let me just, if I, if I can make a shameless pl- couple please. shameless plugs. So first off, uh, I'll work with Manning to get you guys, uh, uh, you know, a few free copies that you can give away to your podcast listeners of the book. Yeah. So we'll, you, I'll let you guys figure out how to how to do that, but I'll, I'll get you some coupon, coupon codes for that. The book title is Core Kubernetes. We should be in production, which means that we'll be getting the book printed soon, probably looking at next year for that, hopefully early next year. Also, I work with a company called LionCube. Our mission really is to provide Kubernetes consulting. Uh, we actually don't have any products right now but we provide Kubernetes, DevOps, as well as data consulting for our customers. 
And if anyone, and it's Lion Cube with a Kubernetes, or it's, we're, we're, we couldn't use Kubernetes in our name. We'd get sued over that one. So uh, the folks over at CNCF said, what about Kube, K-U-B-E? So we're lioncube.com. But yeah, really appreciate you guys having me on. Um, the the picks was a great segment to talk about. And I uh, really appreciate the questions that you guys asked about the book and the book process. Of course. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. Um, and we'll, we'll be uh, uh, putting those coupons up uh, once we get them, uh, likely on our Twitter feed. So definitely, if you're not following Adventures on DevOps on Twitter, um, definitely uh, check us out, get your access when they come up. Yeah. So, yeah. If, if folks want to follow me on social media, it's Chris Love CNM as in Charlie, Nancy, Michael. So Chris Love CNM. Everywhere that there's social media, I'm there. Perfect. Uh, definitely give them a follow. Um, well, thanks again. And thank you, Joe. And thank you to our listeners. Um, well, we'll catch you again next week on another episode of Adventures in DevOps. Have a great day. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.